This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emma Benner, and today I'm sharing episode 79 with Gina Mulligan. Gina is the founder of a nonprofit called Girls Love Mail, an author, and a breast cancer survivor. Gina was working on writing a book of letters when she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2009, and after her diagnosis, she began receiving letters from others, including many strangers, and realized the impact that handwritten letters can have on someone. This letter to start the nonprofit organization, Girls Love Mail, which collects handwritten letters of encouragement for women who are newly diagnosed with breast cancer. They are a fully volunteer-run organization that collects letters from anyone and then distributes them to cancer centers. It was so much fun to hear Gina talk about how she started Girls Love Mail, and I love the positivity that she brings to the organization and hearing all about the impact that they're having on so many women that have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Before we get started with my conversation with Gina, I wanna share about Finley's. Finley's is a company that was founded by two former special education teachers, and they make pet treats with just a few all natural ingredients. And the best part is they give 50% of their profits to initiatives that provide employment training, accessibility, health and wellness, and advocacy platforms for people with disabilities. So when you purchase a bag of pet treats, you know that 50% of those profits are going back to the community. So head over to getfinleys.com and if you find something that you love, you can use code Illuminate20 to get 20% off your order. All right, let's get started with my conversation with Gina Mulligan. All right, today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Gina Mulligan of Girls Love Mail. So nice to be here. Yeah, going all the way back, I found the Girls Love Mail organization when I was in high school and I started writing letters all the way back then. And I really did it. Honestly, I remember doing it a lot like the day before a race just because it was a good way to just like be distracted doing something pretty simple. And maybe even like how I would explain it is like, put my race anxieties and kind of all the pressure I was putting on that, put that into perspective and just realize like what I was doing wasn't as big as I thought it was and kind of calm my anxieties. And it was a little bit therapeutic as well. That's great. I hadn't heard that before. So that's a nice way to look at it for a race. Cause I think people do want to find something tangible to do. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to talk about what Girls Love Mail is? Yes, definitely. So Girls Love Mail, we collect handwritten letters of encouragement for women who are newly diagnosed with breast cancer. So I kind of say it's like letters to the troops, but in this case, the letters are going to our breast cancer warriors. And really anyone can write a letter 
and we gather them up. We're based in Sacramento, well, Folsom, outside Sacramento, and um, we send them out through cancer centers across the country. So you yourself were diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2009, was it? Yes. And how did your cancer diagnosis really lead to starting Girls Love Mail? Well, when I was diagnosed in 2009, um, I was working on a book. So I'm, I'm also a writer, and I was working on a book of letters, actually. So I was working on fictional letters, and I had been researching letters for about five years when I was diagnosed. And suddenly I was this patient, and I started getting mail. And it was kind of strange because I ended up getting about 200 letters from people I did not know. They were friends of friends. And so all this mail started coming in, and it was then that I realized the importance of a handwritten note. And here I had been researching letters, but it wasn't until I received them that I think we'd forgotten in this age of text messaging and emailing how really healing it was to get something handwritten. Um, and so it was that process, I think, and that conversion for me of receiving mail from people I did not know. I felt like family and friends kind of had to write to me, but strangers didn't, and so they meant that much more. And so once I got through treatment and I saw so many people that didn't have support, I think we all think that everyone has some kind of support system when in fact people don't all have someone out there. Um, so when I got done, I thought, you know, I, I can write some letters to people. And so Girls Love Mail was really just kind of born out of that. And my friends and family just writing letters around our kitchen table. And um, fairly quickly it took off. We started around um, in August, and then October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so that's when it really took off that first year in 2011. How did these people that wrote you the letter, all the letters that were strangers, how did they get your information or know about your diagnosis and know to write you a letter even? They were all friends of friends through my husband's church and kind of people I knew who heard about me. And to this day, there are some people I do not know how they found out about me, but they got my home address and they wrote to me. I still have this basket of cards and I can read through them today. This is almost 11 years, over almost 12 years. And I still don't know who they are. So I don't know. I kind of feel like it was meant to be. Um, but it was they're wonderful and they're healing. And I love that the letters tell me that I was okay the way I was. They weren't sending diet plans or, or fixes. They were just telling me, to, you know, you're going to be okay. Um, some had experience with cancer. Some did not. But they were just words of kindness. And I think that's what was so healing. That really is. And it shows the power uh, even a stranger has to make an impact on your life. So how long, if you don't mind talking about your cancer diagnosis a bit, how long were you in treatment? Well, that's the strange thing about my cancer. I was in treatment only about, what, eight weeks, 10 weeks. Um, it was really short. So I was diagnosed. A week later, I had surgery. And then I had just a lumpectomy. And then um, once I healed from surgery, I had six weeks of radiation, and that was it. And partly that was because of what's known, well, what was new then, it's called an oncotype test. And it was new back in uh, 2009, which revealed I did not need chemotherapy, which was obviously a wonderful test, and they still use it today. Um, so for me, it was kind of this whirlwind. I didn't feel sick before. Um, I found the cancer because of doing self-exams. So part of Girls Love Mail's message is to do your self-exam. 
And so um, it was kind of this, I felt fine. I had surgery, didn't feel so great, but it wasn't awful. Um, I went through radiation, which was scary. And then all of a sudden I'm cancer free and done and what just happened? So for me, it, it took a lot longer to kind of settle into that, wait, I just had cancer. And it's taken years later to really feel the ramifications of that. I think the first time was when I went to a new doctor and had to fill out paperwork and they had all these forms of things you're checking boxes, yes and no to all the diseases. And I got to cancer and checked no, because I'm so used to that. I've been very healthy, thankfully, in my life, very fortunate. And I had to go back and change it. And so it, it was kind of a long process after the cancer, which is I think different for some people. But um, we do always tell everybody to please do your self exams. Um, I felt the lump, they marked it with a sensor and they still, even though they could see the sensor and the mammogram, they could not see the lump, even though they knew exactly where it was. So we're all about doing self exams. Absolutely, how interesting. Talk about how Girls Love Mail developed. I mean, like starting a nonprofit is a big undertaking and then kind of the marketing and development of it. Is there a lot of fundraising that you have to do or how did it really take off? Like, was there a big publicity? Or I, I know I saw you were on the Steve Harvey show, but I think that was way later than way after it started. So how was it that it kind of blew up into this, the big organization that it is today? Well, it started, like I said, kind of with just writing letters locally. And we did get some help from um, Susan G. Komen, our local affiliate. But what really kind of got it going locally first was on the media. So it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And my background, I should admit, is also marketing. So we put together a brochure and just some basic things. I have, we have a Facebook page and a website, just a basic website at, at first. And so the, the local media, I Put out a press release about us and because we're pretty straightforward i mean we collect handwritten letters for women with breast cancer that is pretty easy to explain the media really jumped on us and right away that first first we've been open a month right so that first year we were i was on like three or four channel local channels a local radio station so i got kind of really thrown into the deep end on pr i learned real quick how to answer questions but um and so that really took off locally. So that was that first first year. By the next, and then every October, it seems to kind of be a re, resurge, right? So um, by the next year, we started sending out more press releases and then more national media started picking us up. And then just, and then other local media all over across the country. Um, then I guess online, you know, Facebook pages, just websites online started growing. And it kind of took on a life of its own. I, I can't take credit for a lot of it. A lot of it was word of mouth, friends of friends. Um, and then the cancer centers themselves. So we started calling cancer centers about taking letters um, and we're a free program. And so the cancer centers wanted letters and they started telling people and putting our brochures in their waiting areas for mammograms. And so it kind of became this little snowball of just kind of it generating itself. And as far as funding, um, we did get some small grants from Susan G. Komen, local companies gave us money. Uh, we don't ask any of our letter writers for money. It's only been corporate donations. Um, we did get money from the Steve Harvey show and that one came about from me just sending in, they have online, you can you know send in information and I did and they just called me right away and they just, just picked us up. So it's, it's just been kind of this random, um, we got money from Steve Harvey show. It was kind of been just this random 
money kind of just shows up and we're very small budget. Uh, we are all volunteers, including myself. So no one makes any salaries. All the money just goes to postage and envelope printing. And so we're, we're pretty low budget. So it's just been kind of this snowball. And now we get letters from all over the world. And that's just because of social media, you know, um, Facebook and, you know, internet, it has a, a wide reach. And so that's been really fun. In fact, on my desk right now is a package from Romania. It's first time ever. So that's been really cool. And actually my family's from Romania. So that's a cool one for me. Um, but it's just taken on a life of its own, really. And I love watching it. Well, I think what's really cool is most things, most nonprofits, right? You have to, to when you want to make an impact on them, you care about their mission and everything. A lot of times you have to commit to volunteering or donating a, a pretty decent amount to make a big impact, right? There's always little things, you know, one-off events that you can be involved in and, and those are awesome. But what's really cool about yours is you can take five minutes a day and spend, you know, the 49 cents, I don't even know how much postage is anymore, but however much the forever stamps are to stick that on the letter and send it to you all at Girls Love Mail. So it's really cool because it can be just a small thing that you can do from your home. You can do one a day, you can do 50 a day, really whatever commitment you want to put into it. Exactly. I mean, I do. That's been one of the big pluses. It is anytime you feel like it, there is no commitment. Um, and we always say it's a one-to-one -one charity. So unlike other charities that are wonderful, but you're putting, let's say, money in that's communal and goes to a big pot, um, the difference is your one letter is going to go to one person. So that tangible piece of paper is going to go into the hands of one woman. And I think that does resonate with people. It does mean a lot. And one letter, that's all we ask for. We're not asking people to, to spend hours and hours. And there is, like you said, the cost of a stamp, which is now 50 cents. I know my postage really well. If I got, got, this, got this letter, I don't know why, but I got this letter saying, hey, do you want to work for the post office? And I thought, how do they find me? Because I, I know how to do postage so well now. We, we mail so much here. But um, so I think it really is um, just that, that, that tangible and very emotional attachment. And it is something that anyone can do. Our youngest letter writers were second graders. Um, our oldest is a woman in her 90s who's been writing from, for us from the beginning for nine years now. And um, it's just we have some very loyal followers. And like yourself, I mean, you've, been writing, you've been following us for a long time. Yeah, how cool. You must be best friends with your local post postal service. Um, I want to talk about this, that it's all volunteer run. That's incredible. And that you yourself are volunteer. How many volunteers do you work and how does all that work? Or how many volunteers do you have and how, how does all that work, I should say? So we have 15 amazing ladies who come in and help me and I love them to death. And most of them have been with us from the beginning. They're just dedicated. They love reading the letters. So we do read every letter that comes in. We have guidelines out on the website, girlslovemail.com. And so we, we do read every single letter that comes in to make sure they meet the guidelines. So that's the longest process, as you can imagine. So we read them, we put them in our special Girls Love Mail envelope, and we have to package and get them out. So my volunteers help with that, um, and they help do some events and things, but they are amazing. And I think they love it because it really is uplifting. I mean, reading these letters, if you have a bad day, we always say it's great to come in here because it's just, they're just so warm and loving and caring, and you feel better when you leave after you've read letters. 
So um, they're just amazing ladies that live in the area. They began with friends of mine and then they brought in other friends of theirs and, and so on. And um, for myself, this is just an act of, of love. I happen to have some time that I can give to it. And we have space that's donated in an office. So we have some space to work in. And it, you know, it's just been kind of things kind of fell together. I feel like it was meant to be. And so, you know, it's not how every charity works for sure, but for us, it's worked out really well. Well, and that's cool because it cuts the cost and you can put any, any amount of money donated directly into the mission of it and specifically to sending those letters out. So what do you, or how many hours a week are you putting into this? And like, are you doing something else on the side or what else takes up your time? Well, I'm still a writer. So, um, and I, I'm working on my third novel. So I'm, I write historical fiction. So I still do that. You know, I'd say about half and half. I'd say, you know, about 20 hours a week or so is, is girls love mail time and 20 hours is writing, you know, this varies. October is always the busiest month. So then I tend to be here more. So it kind of varies week to week. Um, but that's like my two, my two primary areas really are those two focuses. And they do have some overlap, which is interesting because I do write quite a bit for the charity. We do a newsletter, we do promotional pieces or things. I sometimes will help write um, Q and A things for articles or things like that. So it's just some crossover, but you know, it's great. It's a good balance for me, I think. I think if I had to do one all the time or the other, it might be kind of hard, but so far it's worked out. You mentioned the guidelines that you have. What are some things that are like not allowed to be said in a letter? And like, what do you encourage people to say in the letters? Yeah, so we do have some guidelines and we this is over years of reading letters. So um, some of the big guidelines are, first of all, it has to be handwritten. We, we have people sometimes send typed letters and really the goal is for a handwritten letter because part of what makes it a gift, and we do call the letters a gift, is that they are handwritten. That's, that's very tangible and that's very um, part of the emotion of it is you're seeing the handwriting. They're all very unique because of the handwriting and the paper that you choose and things like that. Um, also, you want to avoid things like religion. So we don't know where the letters are going. They go to the cancer centers and they're handed out. So letters begin like dear friend or dear sister. They don't have patient names. That's all confidential. So you need to be inclusive and that includes religion. So that's the biggest question we get. So you don't want to mention um, any kind of religion. So we don't want to talk about prayer or telling people to worship anything. Um, so we just say to talk about maybe things instead of, you know, I'm praying for you is things like, you know, I'm thinking of you, I'm wishing you well, and to be very careful in the wording of that around religion. That's probably the biggest one. Um, language is second. We're very careful with language. So even things like cancer sucks or kick cancer's butt, which are very common phrases we don't like to have in the letters, and we ask people not to include. And that's just because people are in a, a vulnerable place when they're newly diagnosed. And so we ask that just, we don't want to make anyone offended. So we just kind of avoid all of that language. Um, we do want people to actually say dear, you know, dear friend or dear sister and to, to sign the letters. It's a letter, right? So sign your first name um, and that, those, kind of, those kind of guidelines. Um, as far as what to include, it's really just words of encouragement. We suggest you think of someone that you know you love and care about while you're writing the letter. That always helps to kind of make it feel very um, personal. And you know, some tips and things, we can go to our website, but also a great tip I love is, is you can always start with a, a quote that you love. Now, a letter can't just be a quote. 
We get that sometimes. That's not a letter, really. But if you want to start with a quote um, that you love, then you could say, I'm, I'm writing this quote because, or this quote reminds me of you because, and that gives you a launching off point for your letter. As a writer, I know it's hard to start with a blank page, and so it can be a little bit daunting at first. And I mean, writing letters like this at first can be a little bit challenging, but once you get going, it's easier. The more you write, the easier it becomes. Um, it's not hard. It's just sometimes when you, when you first sit down, it feels a little bit like, oh, where do I start? And that's why we suggest going to the website. We have sample letters out there to give you some ideas and some tips. How often do you have to, in a batch of letters, how often do you have to get rid of one that maybe doesn't follow these guidelines? It doesn't happen too often. I'd say when it usually happens, it's, it's usually people who have not seen our guidelines. And so we can usually tell because it's usually a whole batch of letters that, for example, all say kick cancer's butt or cancer sucks, or they, you know, they're all using, um, they're all religious in some manner, or they didn't realize what the program was because they didn't go to the website. And we usually can tell. So um, if people have reviewed the website, it's very rare we have to do anything other than just make sure. And, you know, once in a while, um, it's a judgment call sometimes. And that's where our, our letter readers really are very experienced. Um, we have done, since the beginning, over 170,000 letters. So um, we're very experienced now in the letters. And, and letters are, are need to be upbeat. Well, I shouldn't say upbeat. They need to be encouraging. And so, you know, once in a while, we'll read one that just has a tone that may be negative. And that may be someone in a bad position or having a bad day. And that's just subjective, but it doesn't happen too often. And so we just say, if you go to our website and read the guidelines and look at the tips, we know you'll be fine. Well, that must be really hard to get rid of some even still, because it's like they still put time and effort into it and they care about the, the mission and behind it and getting someone a letter. So when someone is diagnosed with cancer, might they receive two letters or does it typically happen that every patient is only receiving one letter throughout their treatment? In theory, they should get one letter. So how it works typically at most centers is when you're newly diagnosed, you go through a new patient process. And so we work with what's called patient navigators or nurse navigators. And most cancer centers, because there are so many women diagnosed with breast cancer, unfortunately, there is a, a navigator that helps, helps new patients with this process. And so when you're newly diagnosed, you'll sit down with this nurse navigator and you'll get information. It's usually a binder or some kind of paperwork. And that's where our letters are being handed out. So I, I love that because I receive one of those binders and it's a very scary binder. It has all this information. And when you're newly diagnosed, you don't quite know yet what your treatment options are going to be. So what's in this binder is everything. So it can have information about chemo, wigs, about you losing your fingernails, losing your eyebrows, and it's just overwhelming. And so I love that in there is our letters, often from survivors, not always, but just a letter of encouragement that yes, you can do this. And it's a great place for the letters to go. So typically when they get that binder or information, the letter's there and they get that once. So most women are only getting one letter. Um, once in a while, I have heard of, of a woman getting a second one if they go through infusion and they're going through an infusion center where letters are being handed out there as well. But um, that's, that's unusual. And so, again, what we talk about when a woman is newly diagnosed and why the letters, our letters are so important here is that because you don't know your, what's going to happen yet, you don't have your treatment plan, 
this is one, and having, having been through the experience, is when you feel most vulnerable, once you have that plan in place, and I think I speak for myself and a woman I've talked to, you feel more empowered. And not that you wouldn't want a letter, but it, it doesn't quite have, a, it has much of an impact perhaps, or maybe it's not as needed. It's when you're first diagnosed when it's the scariest. And so I just love that our letters are really geared towards that time. Oh, absolutely. And how often do you hear back from these women about how they received a letter and how it impacted them? Yeah, we do hear back. So every so often I'll get an email from someone who received a letter. Um, and what I love is they talk about what they meant, what it meant to them. Um, I have one wonderful story. It wasn't long ago, actually. I received an email from a woman who said it had been a year since she got her letter and she was writing to tell it she had been through treatment and was done and was doing well. But she wanted to let us know what the letter meant because she had the letter on her nightstand and read it every night before bed for a year. She took it with her to every doctor's appointment and every treatment because it was the only support she had. It was the only letter she received. She had no family helping her through what she was going through. And that letter meant the world to her. And it was just such a profound um, email and response to that letter. Um, so that was a wonderful one. Another one that kind of strikes me was a woman who got a letter, didn't open it right away, wasn't quite sure what it was, was kind of angry about the whole situation, which often women are when they first diagnosed, you're angry about what you're going through. She wanted to tell me that I had to, she had to let me know that she loves butterflies, that she has everything in her house is decorated with butterflies. So she finally opened this card and she said it brought tears to her eyes because out of, at this time, about 80,000 letters, the card she received was covered in butterflies. And so um, I thought that was wonderful. And I just had a sense that the right card finds the right person. So we do hear from recipients. And so far I have matched one recipient letter writer. Um, I was asked if I could do that. And it just so happened that the letter writer had a unique enough name that I could, I could track them down. We do keep a track of our in a database of our letter writers. And so I could find them, I was able to connect them. And that's only happened once. But that was great to do. And I think they're still in touch as far as I know. Oh, wow. And I'm really curious, going all the way back, how do you get into hospitals? I think you only, er, I think you send the letters throughout the United States, if I'm correct. And so how are you getting into hospitals ex or treatment centers and explaining what you're doing and getting them on board to hand out these letters? Well, we started locally and it was just, um, we got introduced through actually through Susan G. Coleman to a couple of local um, cancer centers. And I, I met them in person and it was the nurse navigator. So I talked with what we wanted to do and they said, yes, let's give it a try. Then we began calling and we just called other cancer centers, um, looking at different areas that were in like different geographic areas we didn't cover and just called, asked the nurse navigator, told what we were doing, explained who we are. Um, we went to the American Association of Nurse Navigators Conference. They actually have that. And we went there one year, explained who we were, and had a little table, and that helped. And now, because um, we have 165 centers all across the United States, now they do talk. They do have that uh, yearly meeting. Of course, now with COVID, it's been on hold. But they know who we are. A lot of them now actually will, will contact us. So we have uh, centers now that will actually email me and say, hey, I heard about your program, can we get letters? Which is great for me, it makes it much easier because at first it was a lot of phone calls. 
and a lot of explaining who we are and what we do and that we're free. Um, so, but now they call me, which is wonderful. Um, at one point, we had a waiting list. We don't right now, but we had a waiting list at one point. It's always a balancing act because we don't know how many letters are coming in. So I'm always kind of trying to balance what's going out and coming in. Right now, we're, we have little extra letters coming in right now. So I can take on a couple more centers if anyone's out there listening. So, um, but it's been wonderful. And it, it was just really making those phone calls and asking, hey, do you want to try this program? We'll send you some samples and here's what, what we're doing. How many centers are you in? We work with 165 right now. Oh, wow. That is incredible. And what are some of your goals going forward with the organization and maybe how many letters you want, how many, the amount of letters that you want to receive in a year or how many centers you want to get in and things like that? Well, our goal this year was to reach 25,000 letters in the year. We're right now at 19,000. So we're close. I don't think we're going to quite make it, but we did pretty well considering COVID this year. Um, you know, our, our goals really are to expand um, more in just the United States first. There are 250,000 women diagnosed each year. So our goal has always been to get a letter to every woman. So we're obviously a long way from that still, but I think it's still doable. Um, the other goal for Girls of Mail is for me personally, is to try to get more of the letters out to other countries, at least to Canada and to the UK if we can. Uh, we've talked to some centers in Canada. The um, health system is very different in Canada, and that's been the kind of the, um, one of the hurdles we're working with. But we get so many letters from other countries, especially Canada and the UK, and Australia, actually, for that matter, that it'd be nice to get some letters back to other countries. And we had, had lots of questions about that. So it'd be nice if we can get those back out. And we've been working on that for a while. It's just a challenge because of the healthcare systems and how to get the letters out. So those, those two pieces are the goals, um, but really the biggest goal is just to get more letters in and out in any way that we really can, because it sounds like a lot of letters, the 25,000, but there are so many more women out there I know we can reach. Um, the other way we're reaching women I, would, I need to make sure and mention is our book. And we do have a, a gift book called Dear Friends, Letter of Encouragement, Humor and Love for Women with Breast Cancer. And so this book came out in 2017 as a way to reach other women who are not getting a letter. So it's a book of 100 letters that were, are put together. They're recreated. It's a beautiful book, a gift book. And they are real letters that we pulled out of, of what we collected so far that were very unique in some way. And so that's another way that we hope to expand that book and get that book out to more people as a way to reach women who maybe don't get a letter through their center. How did you choose the letters that went in the book? You know, it was just me reading letters, having read so many, certain letters just jumped out as unique in some way. Um, and they were usually some kind of personal story that was unique. Um, for example, there's one from our, an actual uh, researcher at a pharmaceutical company who was researching uh, drugs for breast cancer treatment. And he was writing to, to say that he doesn't think of us as patients but as his, uh, his mother, his friend, his wife, his sister, it's this beautiful letter from a doctor of all things. Um, there's one from a man who's in the military who was writing about his experiences in the military and how it related to breast cancer. It was just things like that that were just so unique in some way um, that they just, after reading so many letters, they kind of jumped out. And so early on, I started seeing this content and I thought, wow, these are really amazing letters. I wonder if we can make a book. 
and because I have a background in writing, I think that also kind of was in my head. And so I just started saving them. And so in 2016, for 17, when the book came out, we started working with Chronicle Books. And it is a beautiful book. I was so pleased how well they worked on it. And they recreated the beautiful color. It's fully color. It's just they recreated everything. And it's just a beautiful book. You must hear some incredible stories and obviously some really hard and sad and everything stories in those letters every every day. We do. Um, I like to focus on the good ones because I do hear some heartbreaking stories. Um, and I get a lot of emails with heartbreaking stories. And I think it's it's so, it's so wonderful because I have so many connections now with people. I get a lot of emails just from people who email me because of Girls Love Mail and we're now kind of pen pals. So I, I know what's going on in their lives personally. I know their ups and downs. I know their re-diagnosis and, like, and then they're back and they're out of treatment again and things like that. But then I also hear these wonderful stories of you know survival and um, a woman who had now has written letters for us since the beginning. She's a three-time cancer survivor and has written over 5,000 letters herself for us. I mean, she's an amazing woman. So you you just, it's just kind of the full gamut. And I think it's this, this piece of humanity that I get to see every day. And I we always say we see the best in humanity. When there's all this bad news going on, you can come in here and read some letters and you do see the best in people, truly. It really is a wonderful place to be. Yeah, I can see how that would be a day maker. And when you, yeah, when you hear the news of all the bad things going on, it's like, okay, there's good people, there's good things going on. Yes, definitely. And I personally, especially, I know you started in high school writing. I love letters from young people because I think it's so important to, for young people to learn how to give back and to learn that even at a young age, they can make a difference. And we get so many thank yous from recipients from letters from children. They love letters from children. I think there's something special about a child taking time to think about others. So I, I love the letters from, from the kids. Did you notice with COVID a difference in the amount of letters you got? It To me, it seems like it could be a really good activity. Obviously, there is no contact needed and you can do it from home and keep busy with that. So what was like... How did COVID affect the organization? We saw a lull at first and then a huge surge. So yes, we, and then we had a lull because our office got closed down. So then we had to play catch up and we couldn't send out letters for two months. It's the first time in the nine years we didn't get letters out. So we missed two months, but the centers also slowed down. So it all worked out, but then we've had a huge surge or have been playing catch up for months. So yes, I think people did find us as a great relief of something to do while they were home. It is a perfect activity for social distancing and being at home. We have done now Skype, or I'm sure it's like Skype anymore, but uh, Zoom, and I guess Skype too, but it's mostly Zoom meetings um, and group activities on Zoom has been wonderful. And it is a perfect activity. It's very, very great for social distancing. And so we're we've just overwhelmed right now with letters the other big piece of that is we had an article, just a very small little article in um, Oprah's magazine, Oh, the Oprah magazine. And so that also saw a huge surge of letters, as you can imagine. So um, we all of our volunteers have been coming in always kind of wide eyed at the number of letters to read. <laughs> 
And if you, like flipping it on you, if you were to write a letter to someone that is newly diagnosed with breast cancer or just send a message to someone that's newly diagnosed with breast cancer, like what would be in a short little bit, what would be your message to someone that's newly diagnosed? I think the, the best messages that I think I could, could put in a letter from all that I've been through is that first of all, you're not alone that there are so many people, women, men, uh, professionals, your nursing staff, who are really working with you and are thinking of you and wishing you well, that you, you didn't do anything wrong, that you're okay as you are, that there is no diet plans, there are no um, remedies to fix you, that you are fine as you are and to, and to continue to be who you are, and that you're okay to have good days and bad days, um, it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride, and that's okay. And to understand that that's part of the process, and that maybe in the end, um, I won't going to say can't, can't having cancer is necessarily a blessing. Sometimes we hear that in letters, but I do think that there's an experience that you take with you and you learn from, and that at the at the end of it, you will be changed. It's not necessarily for all for the bad. Um, I think we. I, I know for myself, I've become a more compassionate person, and I do think there's something from that you've learned from cancer. So it's it's a process, and it's a journey, and certainly everyone is here to help you, and that you, really you're not alone. And I think that's a big challenge, because having gone through cancer, when you're the one you know lying on that table or going through radiation, and they close that door when you're in there by yourself, you do feel very isolated. Thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful and I'm sure able to touch so many people currently in treatment or maybe newly diagnosed or maybe in the future if they receive that unfortunate diagnosis. So switching a little bit, I do want to talk about your books. I love talking with authors. I've interviewed a couple other authors and I just love hearing the process and everything. So how many novels did you say you've published? Two. To historical fiction. Oh, cool. So what was the one with the letters that you were talking about that you were writing when you got your diagnosis? That one is called From Across the Room, and it's an epistolary novel, so the whole story is told through letters. It's a very complicated format. I will not do that again. (laughs) So how many books, I guess this is a weird question, but how many books have you written in total? Like, are there any that you haven't published? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh, let me see. Um, There's probably like three or four that I haven't published that are in various stages of either really awful or maybe medium, but I don't want to ever work on again. So (laughs) they're never going to see the light of day. I think writing is is a process. And I think all writers have some books that we call them under the bed books that are just, they were good practice, but I don't want to work on them enough to make them um, something worth publish, publishing. And that's really what it comes down to. You have to want to edit enough to <laughs> to make it uh, something someone wants to read. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what is the book you're writing about now? Like, what's the topic of historical fiction? The one I'm working on now is actually set in uh, 1902. And it's about the first women immigration inspectors. And it is interesting because it started out researching women who were doing this immigration inspecting job and they were actually going off Alice Island and investigating the ships and looking for women who were traveling alone coming into this country and 
thinking it was going to be an immigration story and about strong women, which is what I like to write about. And it's really becoming more about human trafficking because what they found was pretty much what's going on today in that women are being trafficked in this era. And so it's gone a little bit dark. And so I guess that's why I was saying earlier, it's been a nice balance to have the charity because some of my research of late has been very dark. So it's been interesting and to do the research. My other novels were late 1800s. So I thought, well, 1902 is close enough. I'm sure the research is close. And I was very wrong. Um, things are very different in the turn of the century. So that's been kind of, it's been good and bad. It's a lot, of, I mean, I shouldn't say bad, but it's a lot of work to research. But, um, but interesting topic to, to look into and to see how many parallels there are to what's going on today in parts of the world with trafficking and in our own country to what happened in the early 1900s. It's, it's exactly the same, actually. Oh, wow. So I don't know a ton about the process of historical fiction and like historical fiction in general. How much of it has to be like along the lines of what actually happened? Or can it be, is there ever a time it can be like 100% made up? Well, it has to have some basic um, you know, historical elements. There, you really can't make up dates. You, you can't make up um, alternate endings for things. For example, my first novel, um, Remember the Ladies, is about suffrage. And so in the novel, um, it's set in the late 1800s, and you know, we talk about the woman's right to vote, and I couldn't change the right to vote. We don't get the right to vote to 1920. I couldn't change that. <laughs> you know, unless you're going to do alternate reality type thing. But in a classic historical fiction, I can't change that date. If you're going to write, write about World War II, you can't change some of the you know, real history of World War II. So some of that you really can't change. What you can write about, and what most good historical fiction does, is you can change, you can, or you can write to and create the fiction around the why. So we often know the dates of you know what happened and who they were and all those kind of things. But why people did what they did, that is more vague. And that really can be what the fiction is really you're creating. And that's the characters, motivations, and things. And that's where the fun part is anyway for most novels, is why these characters did that. And that's where fiction comes in. So a lot of uh, historical fiction is based on real people. Mine, mine is the same. It's based on these characters. And you can fictionalize what they did around the, that history and those dates. And then you can use you know, real um, pieces like the inventions, maybe political figures of the time, some of the pol politics of the times can all be interwoven that is actually real. So is your publisher doing a lot of like fact checking or are you doing a lot of the research or how does that side of things work? Both. I mean, I have to do all the research and then they do all the fact checking. In fact, um, my publisher when I had to turn everything in, they had a, a, a sheet of all of the things I researched and they wanted it all listed out. Anything I put in there, they wanted to know where I found it and all the research, they were going to check it. <laughs> so uh, I've learned to keep really good notes. So they do fact check and it's kind of, you know, you have to be really diligent on some things you say and particularly anything you say negative about any location that's still in existence because there are some um, places I use that are still around today. So you had to be real careful with that. I thought that was interesting. And have you gotten ever gotten any like negative responses or backlash a little bit for maybe something that you've written about in your stories? I've had negative 
backlash, not about like places I've written, just in general. I mean, everyone's got a comment about everything. Mostly I get good reviews, but someone's got some comment <laughs> about something, but not about, not about the history. Thankfully, so far, no one's had any comment about the history or the research or anything like that. It's just, you know, like anything. I mean, people like Harry Potter too. So, you know, people are people. Everyone's got an opinion, but nothing about the actual research, which is, I feel really good about. Well, Gina, thank you so much for all you shared today. I really enjoyed hearing about Girls Love Mail and all the incredible things that you're doing. So for the end of podcast questions, what is the best or most recent book that you've read? That is such a hard question because I'm the, I like to say my best book, one of the best books I've ever read, and I'll share it because I think it's a good one that kind of goes with the charity some is a book called The Stone Diaries by Carol Shields. And it's, it's it was out in the mid-90s. It was a Pulitzer-winning book, and it's just a lovely book about, it's a historical fiction, a kind of a slice-of-life story. But it's about women and their kind of place in society. And it's just a beautiful book. And who or what is illuminating you right now? I have been really motivated. It's also book related, but um, there's a book called Human Kindness, and a man wrote, wrote it as Brad Aronson, and he is just an amazing guy, and he's the whole book is about acts of kindness in the world and how we can do more to be kind to each other, and he's just so inspiring. The book was so inspiring. It just so happens that Girls of Mail is in the book, very briefly mentioned, and I'm not saying it because of that. I, I didn't know we're going to be in the book at all. He happened to just say, hey, I put you in the book. Here's a copy. But it wasn't that. The whole book is so inspiring. I'm so inspired by him and his whole movement. And so that right now has just been really on my mind. What an incredible honor that must be when you get mentioned in things. And the, the organization that you started and the impact that you're having on other people gets mentioned in something big. I was. I was so, so honored, so surprised, first of all, but so honored. And again, because of, and then I read his book and I'm just so inspired by him. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so honored that we're mentioned by this man. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an honor and it's a great book. If anyone wants to read something that's uplifting in this time, I highly recommend Human Kindness by Brad Aronson. It really Gosh, it just made me smile the whole way through and tear up. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful stories in there. Absolutely. I have to check that out, add that to my reading list. And of course, we illuminated your organization and all that you're doing. But what is another organization that you would like to illuminate? Well, I have to mention one that my husband is involved in. And only because it's such a great model. Um, he is involved in, in working with a choir. It's called RSVP. And it's called Reconciliation Singers Voices of Peace. And they are a local choir that does free uh, concerts in support of other charities. So they do free concerts twice a year. And they any money they raise, they, they just ask for donations at the concert. They bring in the charity at the concert to talk about their what they are doing in the community. And all 100% of that money goes to the charity. And they have raised... About, over about 10 years, $100,000 for different charities locally. And it's such a wonderful model I wanted to share because I think any other organizations could do the same. They're supported by grant money and things. But I should say the concerts are amazing because um, they have about 18 to 20 singers 
that are mostly professional musicians. So they are amazing choir. Um, and so you go to this you know, free concert, and I mean, not expecting much, and they blow people away because they're amazing concerts, and they sing all kinds of music, and they're just great. And then you learn about a charity as well, and then all that money goes to the charity. So it's a great model, I think, for others to follow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a really cool organization. Are they local to you, or do they do concerts throughout the United States? They are local to Sacramento area, but now with things being online more, they are starting to put more online, and they're going to have some things coming up. It's rsvpchoir.org. They're actually going to have a live event coming up here in December on the 18th. And so if people want to check them out, they can see them live. And I think they're going to try to do more things now with the Internet. Because of COVID, they're learning that they can do more of these things online. But but they are also – they did a PBS special. They were featured on uh, PBS and things like that. So their, their, their goal really is to inspire other choirs or other organizations that could follow this model to take it on, to, to put on free events to support other local charities. So Gina, what is your one message to send to the world? I think my biggest message is to let people know that you can make a difference with a small act of kindness. I think we think about being helpful or kind in the world, and we think about, oh, I, I can't do this or that because it's, it's too big. And that really isn't what makes a change in the world. I think changing in the world is small acts. It's the one act. I think if we all did one act and helped one person, we would change the world. I mean, think about that. If every person did one thing and helped one person, that would do it. And so I think it's those small acts of kindness that are easy to do, are, are, are just helping your neighbor helping your friend, being kind. And I think that has kind of an effect of snowballs and, and expanding anyway. But instead of getting overwhelmed by thinking, oh, it's, things are too big and I, I can't start a charity, you don't have to start a charity. You can do one nice thing for someone and, and that, that'll do it. I think that is what, what would change the world is just the small acts of kindness. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Gina Mulligan. If you fell in love with the organization and want to follow along with what they're doing or maybe get involved and write a few letters yourself, you can go to girlslovemail.com or find them on Instagram at girlslovemail. It's such a great organization to get involved in because you can spend however much time you want on it to get involved and make a little bit of an impact right from the comfort of your home. And if you loved this conversation of the Illuminate podcast or you've been loving any of the previous conversations, make sure to head over to your favorite podcast player and give us a rating and review. It's the great way for new listeners to find the show and to help us continue to grow the show. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at Illuminate underscore pod or on Instagram at the Illuminate podcast. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gina and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.